Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Dr. Williams is the author of the acclaimed book, Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse. Dr. Williams is on the senior leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. And Dr. Williams travels the United States speaking and training professionals, parents, and victims about the importance of dealing with abuse and personal trauma head-on and not being afraid to break the silence of your own personal pain. Feel free to call in to tonight's show at 888-627-6008 and speak with Dr. Williams and his guests live on air. And now, your host, Dr. Williams. Good evening and welcome to the most beautiful city in the world, Houston, Texas. I'm already getting uh, text uh, about tonight's program. So this, this must have some interest in this tonight. So this is going to be good. Thank you for texting me and let me know what you think before the program even goes live. But uh, welcome to the program. I have my Astros jersey on. Try to give them that extra boost they need. We're going to be leaving and heading toward uh, Philadelphia. Uh, to the Phillies uh, stadium uh, for tomorrow night's game, game three in the World Series. Uh, we had a barn burn of the game one, but boy, second game we pulled it out and uh, kind of left them in the dust, which is the way we should have the first game. But hey, I kind of am glad that they lost. Uh, they hadn't lost in postseason yet because I think we find out who we are during the adversity. And if it's just going to go all the way and never lose, uh, in postseason, <laughs> too big for your britches, a little cocky. So I'm kind of glad that they uh, got that out of the way. But for Dusty Baker's uh, benefit, I hope they win. And uh, just for our city and uh, for the entire country, I, I love the Astros. It's just a great place to be. Uh, welcome to the program tonight. It's going to be great. It's already dark behind me, but I think tomorrow, not tomorrow, but next Sunday morning, we will set the clocks back. And if I understand that right, it may be a little lighter behind us because we can yeah, whatever. But uh, welcome to the program. And it's dark already and the sun has gone down, but we're going to have a great program this evening. And, you know, I always like to, to talk about uh, things that have not bothered me, but things that I've dealt with. Um, and I don't know if anybody else does this, but it, you, you all get on this site called LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on that. And I, I don't really enjoy it because everybody blows their own trumpet. Um, and I, I don't do that. Uh, but, you know, everybody in the publishing world and the, the presentation world said, oh, you got to create this and do this. But I really don't follow. But I, I because it gives me notifications and it causes me to compare myself with other people. And I, I have problems with that. And I want to be honest with you. And that's one reason why I literally love uh, our guest tonight, because we haven't compared ourselves with each other. We compliment mm -hmm. each other. I think we are both in each other's uh, corner cheering each other on. And you don't get that too much in the real world, especially it seems like and without me getting in too much trouble. You have a group of women and another woman that's dressed real nice walk past them. 
they will say, oh, hi, how are you? Then just as soon as they pass them, you'll hear all the women talk about, well, she was, who told her to wear that dress? Or did you see what her hair looked like? And it's like, we, but we all get caught up yeah. in that. And we can't be ourselves if we don't know ourselves. And we can't know ourselves if all we know is who we are in comparison to other people. Yeah. And we'll never know uh, the problems, the stress that others are going through and don't need to know really. What we'll be better off doing with our time is exploring who we are on the inside, yeah. exactly who we are. And I know it's hard. Uh, we see everyone around us doing some awesome things. You know, I, I was in Barnes and Noble yesterday and I spent, I think, two, two or three hours just literally walking around. And it's like, man, why can't I have my book there? Why, why don't I get that kind of uh, a response? And it's hard not to compare. Oh, why didn't I do that to mine? And you can't do that um, because there's a lot of people doing some wonderful things. Yep. And it's been ingrained in our culture to try to keep up with the Joneses whoever the Joneses are, I don't even know where they live anymore. But really, there's nothing to keep up to and no one to really keep up with. Instead of comparing ourselves to others, try connecting ourselves with others. So I kind of got that mind shift yesterday walking around Barnes & Noble. I started taking pictures of books, covers of people that I wanted to contact uh, to be on the program. Instead of saying, oh, why can't I do this? Or why wasn't my book like this? Or why wasn't mine as pretty as this? Or uh, on the top 10 bestseller list, I started taking pictures of people that I wanted to have on the program and help them enlarge their circle of influence. And in reality, isn't that why we're here? To kind yeah. of be in the hand of somebody that we're walking on a journey with and say, hey, let's walk a few steps together. And maybe we're going to say bye in a few steps. Maybe we're going to walk a couple miles together on that journey of life. But to be able to bring somebody up with us or help them one more step along the way. And I think John Maxwell years ago, uh, I, love, I used to go to John Maxwell conferences when I was an early minister and he influenced my leadership skills, if I have any. And he always said that when you climb up the ladder, you have to make sure that you're reaching down to help other people up yeah. as you climb up too, that that is so important. So if you want to be happy, we just, we need to start recognizing things in our life that is worth appreciating. And to compare ourselves with others is to forget our own uniqueness of our own journey. Yeah. Last week, our journey, last, week, uh, last week's guest, we had very similar journeys. This week's guest, we have very similar journeys. Next week's guest, we have very similar journeys, but we all have different ways of impacting and telling that story that will reach additional people that I would never reach, that yeah. I would never even have the capability or understanding how to reach them. But our guest tonight has a wonderful uh, world of influence around him, and he's fixing to have an unbelievable launch tomorrow morning, or really tonight at midnight, 1201. His book is going to be released. We want to tell everybody about that. But when you really think about it, a flower does not think about competing with the flower that's next to them. Yeah. They just bloom. And wouldn't it be awesome 
if we just bloom and become everything that we need to be. So don't compare yourself to others this week. There's no comparison between the sun and the moon. When it's their time, they're going to shine. And yes, if, when it's their time to shine, you're going to go, wow, did you see that? And it's going to impress others and make other people look at you and realize that you are a unique masterpiece crafted by God himself to be exactly you, not to mirror anyone else. Yeah, it's all right to take some examples from them and encouragement from them, but to not to be exactly like somebody else. Because if there's two people exactly the same, one of you really aren't necessary. Yeah. I needed to hear that this week. And next week's guest, I'm really excited about. I just got this Amazon package just a few minutes ago. And I'm going to open it up because I got a feeling that I get to read that this week. And here it is. Stanley Leone Jr., No Place Like Hope. He is one of the most outstanding motivational speakers in the world years ago. And he is going to be on the program next Sunday night. You do not want to miss this. And I can't wait to dig into this book. But most of all, tonight, I want to tell you about this book. And our guest tonight, a friend of mine that I consider a true friend, Michael Pritchard, all the way, I believe, in still California. Is that right, Michael? Yeah, Central California, yeah. Central California. Welcome to the program. Come on in. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Thank you for having me on again. I appreciate it. Oh, this is exciting. I'm looking so forward to, and I I have to be honest with you, I want everybody to type this in Amazon right now or Barnes & Noble or wherever you get a book, uh, find it. And I really encourage you to go ahead and pre-buy it. So when tomorrow that, uh, hey, it's for sale officially, boom, uh, he's not only on this list, he goes up that list as high as it can go. And um, got a beautiful picture. Are you wearing the same outfit? No, you got uh, a different similar dress. Different time. Vest, vest and tie are my are my thing, but I oh, yeah, I used to do that with vest yeah. and ties too. Right? <laughs> that's great. But Michael is a certified alcohol. I'm I'm reading right from the back of the book. That's fine. He's a certified alcohol and drug counselor. He earned a bachelor's of arts degrees in Christian studies and a master of science degree in addiction counseling from my favorite. I'm being honest. My favorite online university, Grand Canyon. University out of Phoenix, Arizona. If you ever want a good Christian Mm -hmm. uh, university that's online, that's easy to use and easy to, I I know all about this school. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, university. He's worked in government service as a behavioral health advocate and as a community teacher and trainer for most of his career. He is the owner of Covenant Training and Consulting and is a a person in long-term recovery and we're going to be talking about tonight from childhood trauma, mental illness, and substance addiction. And I want to introduce him to the world as a resounding author of <laughs> Better Than Well, Michael Pritchard. I thank you for uh, the autograph and uh, the little uh, com- kind comments. This is a good book, Michael. This is thank you. a wonderful book. So tell me, how, how was the journey to get this thing written and to get it out there? Well, people had been bothering me, well, uh, egging me on to do this for a while. Um, I, you know, I go and I do a lot of uh, training in the public. And in doing that, I I give little snippets of my story, um, you know, to, to, to let people know people recover. Right. And, and um, 
people have always said, you know, Michael, you should write a book. Michael, you should write a book. My, my wife has been on me forever to do it. And I, I just didn't want to dig into all of the darkness that was my life before. It, you know, I, I don't know that I was emotionally prepared. I don't I didn't know if I was in a place in my career where it was time to write. And so, you know, I kept putting it off. And, and actually, um, advantageously or by God's providence, when you came and presented at CCAP, um, I had talked to you and, met, and made contact with you afterwards. And I, I, I looked at your book and, and read it and I thought, you know, this is an arduous journey, but this is doable. And actually, and, and we had a conversation. And so you were like the, um, the, the last step in me making that decision and writing it. And, and I just figured, you know, God, I just prayed that God would put it in the hands of people that needed it based on my own experience. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I didn't know what would happen with it. The people that have read it have been really touched by it. And um, I feel like, you know, it's, it's going to have an impact. And that was, that was the real purpose of it. You know, I, I have a career and I do pretty well in it. Um, I didn't necessarily need to write a book for, for monetary reasons. You know, I just wanted to put my story out there because I felt like it was God glorifying to do so given the miraculous thing that happened in my life. And I, I wanted to put God's attributes on display, but I also wanted to let people know that, that, you know, our systems of care and, and human, human means of, of, of working with people with problems sometimes is limited. And sometimes the, the, the um, solution is, is a spiritual solution, which was in my case, you know, and until I had that God encounter, which I talk about in my book, um, I wasn't able to utilize the tools and and other things that, that they gave me in recovery and, and, and treatment and stuff until the until I that spark, that spiritual awakening happened and then everything came together. So it's, you know, everybody has their path to recovery, and this is one path. And I guess my book could be best described as a case study, <laughs> you know, for for uh, people, you know, recovering from these problems. And, you know, I hope it touches people. I also wrote it for parents. My mother wrote a segment at the end of it. Um, and, uh, you know, to encourage parents who are going through this, who are really struggling with with a child that has, you know, mental health issues or, or, or addiction issues. My mom um, went through hell with me with this. And, um, you know, her her perseverance really and prayers helped bring me through this. And I give credit to her for that. Um, what was the hardest? What was the hardest thing for you to actually do, Michael? When as you was jotting your thoughts down and then typing them uh, on the computer, what what was the hardest thing? Like, wait, I don't want to. Was it opening up the, all the closet doors, or did you open all the closet doors? But um, well, what was the hardest? Well, I didn't. I didn't go into into detail that would be that that would disgust people, right? Like, I didn't. I didn't want to glorify. Um, well, I didn't. I. I went into some detail about the sexual abuse issues that happened with me, um, how I felt after, you know, my dad was killed when I was young. I went into, you know, so some of the violence that happens in prison when I was there. Um, I went into, so um, I didn't want to make it unpalatable to, to, to people that are, that, that don't want that level of detail. Um, but I wanted to make it real enough and I wanted people to feel it when, when they read it. And, and I think that I, I accomplished that. I think the biggest struggle for me was, you know, I left names out of this book um, and and I um, was really concerned about how it would impact my mom, my family, people that knew me, because you're telling you're telling things as you process them and remember them as you're writing a book. Right. Um, and then there's, you know, I trust the accuracy of my information as I remember it. And but 
you know, if you were to listen to my mom's side of the story, my brother's side of the story, my sister's side of the story, my, you know, other people that knew me, they would have different inputs on that. So I really trying to make it accurate without, without hurting anybody in the process was important to me. So, you know, I read through it. My my mom struggled with parts of that book because there were things that happened to me she didn't know about. And so it was a, it was a hard book for her to read and it was hard for her to relive that pain And, um, you know, but at the same time, my mom's, you know, she's a Christian woman and wants God to be glorified, too. And she was willing to make herself vulnerable with her parenting, uh, you know, mistakes that that all parents make. And, you know, put that out there so that, you know, parents know, like, hey, you're not alone. We all make mistakes. But my mother really depended on, on, on God through all of this. And it worked. You know, it, it does work. And I, I tell you, the, the two things that you did that I did not was one I didn't I didn't go into the religious side and the scripture side. And I had a reason for that until the yeah. last page, but you did it from get go and it's thorough, you know, all the way through. And it's wonderful. And the yeah. other thing is I didn't involve my mom. I didn't even start writing until my mom died. And that was the uh the green light for me to go because I promised her that. Yeah. And for your mom to I'm sure that was a struggle for her. Yeah, it was hard. And, you know, the, the one of the reasons, well, I don't know how much of a story I have, you know, as you read the book, you'll understand that if I, if I tried to tell this story because God was active throughout my life, even, you know, from the, from the early childhood on, you, you see God show up throughout my book. Um, I don't know that I could have written a cohesive narrative that, that, that marginalized or omitted God in my particular story. Um, that's how I felt I, um, that, that it would have been for me. That's not true of every author who's a believer, right? But in my story, um, I had to do it the way that I do it to, to make it, to make the story work. And um, so I, I wrote it that way, but also I work in um, secular spaces, right? I, I work in in counseling. I, I work in training social workers and physicians, and you know, um, I, I work in training, you know, police officers and and different people in the community. And when I go to train, I'm training them on the science of addiction. I'm training them on all these things, and I don't ever get to tell what really happened with me in those spaces. So the only place I had to do that was my book. So I wanted people to know the whole story that. I didn't want people thinking like, yeah, this this guy went to a treatment program and treatment, you know, was the thing that worked for him. And now he's all better. It didn't happen like that at all. I went through eight treatment programs. It was in and out of psych hospitals, prison, um, everything else. And in the end, it was a spiritual solution that worked um, with me through my faith. So um, now people know me as a trainer and know that hopefully they think I'm a competent professional in my field. Uh, and at the same time, they realize that. I also have this, um, you know, spiritual component of my life that, you know, really kind of informs the way that I live and the way that I function. And I think um, having having uh, both sides of me helps paint a, be- a better pa- uh, panoramic picture of like who Michael is and not just a community trainer who talks about the science of addiction. Well, it, it is hard when you're out like at CCAP and those different yeah. places that, that you, you speak at and you're part of and. And uh, to because when Jesus is such a, a large part and your walk with God is a large part of your life that got you through it, you can't mention that in front of a whole bunch of social workers and most unless somebody at the Q&A goes, hey, how do you get through it? Then yeah. I always go, hey, read the last couple pages of the book. You'll find out. 
uh, but they have to open that door. Well, and I've been promoting um, I've been promoting the book in 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 all of the trainings that I do lately, and 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 I tell them, you know, hey, I have this book. Um, it talks about trauma, it talks about addiction, talks about prison, talks about all of the things, and actually, um, what happens to a child that gets them to this point, right? And and where all the missed opportunities were along the way. But I just tell them, I say, listen, this is a um, a very um, Christian book. It's a very it's written from a Christian worldview, and if that offends you then maybe this book isn't for you. But if you're open-minded enough to read through the book to see how my faith and how somebody and how, and how uh, you know, God can work in somebody's life to heal them, then even if you're interested and you don't believe it, it's still a good read for you. So you can see a case study. And a lot of people have been very responsive because, you know, I don't go into these spaces proselytizing people. I'm hoping that my story speaks for itself. Yeah, and I tell you what, it may reach people in the uh, their relationship with their maker, uh, yeah. and uh, have them make a decision. And I tell you what, uh, I applaud you. And we're getting ready to take our first commercial break. Sure. What? Why the commercials going, guys? Everybody that's listening out there, get on Amazon or, or one of those online book. Th- and while the commercials playing, you'll have time to go on and buy this, pre-order, get it uh, heading your way because you will not be too disappointed in this. And we're going to come back right after this first commercial break. And I'm going to jump right into what I think is probably one of the most life-changing sentences in this book. I'm going to find out what your insight is on that, Michael. Okay. We'll be right back after the first commercial break. Hang with us. You know, I tell you what, I have been working on this project for the last couple of years, and we keep promising you that this book was going to come out, but it is now out right now on Kindle edition, and I can't be more excited than I am about this book because it's a perfect timing for what our teenagers, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, basically everybody needs, and it's called When the Dark Clouds Come, The Roadmap to Hope. It's available right now on Amazon, on Kindle, and it'll be available August 16th, uh, actually on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Target, uh, Books A Million, all those sites. And just a few topics that it talks about. Chapter one, you're going to find out how, where you are in life and how to find out how to get where you're going. Chapter eight tells you about how to take control back of your life. Chapter 11 till deals with how you're dealing with anxiety and anger. Chapter 12 goes even deeper into depression. How do you deal with that? Hurt, pain, and suicide. And there are just so many things. I personally believe that every person that's listening to me, every parent, every grandparent, every school teacher, every doctor, every library, every church, every counselor, every minister needs a copy of this book and copies to hand out to the people that are going through some of their own storms of their life. When the dark clouds come, the roadmap to hope. Get this one? I'm proud of this, and this is the one book that I wish I had when I was going through all of that abuse when I was a child, when I was a teenager. I wish I had that to be able to turn, to be able to learn how to get through my storms to hope. Roadmap to hope when the dark clouds come. Don't miss it. It's on Amazon right now.
one tonight buy mine some other time but buy this one tonight okay you know i i don't know how many people do this but i i i use m and m wrappers as my bookmarks i guess it's because i use m &M that's, funny. that's funny i always try to as i go through uh, a book uh michael i always try to find one or two quotes it's like whoa that's that got me and i'm in chapter two Okay. Uh, where I found it and I wrote it down. I'm thinking, okay. And I've read your book three times, the third time this afternoon. And uh, it's one of those that you can literally sit down and read, you know, really quick. And I, I like those books. I don't want something that takes me months yeah. to read. Um, and it's on page 10. And it was after your, your father passed away. Mm -hmm. And I want to find out your emotions, your thoughts on this one quote. And um, it goes like this. Touching my dad's cold hand that day colored the way I saw the world, my place in it and other people. And coupled with my religious upbringing, it made me view God with anger and fear. And you were six years old at that time? Yeah. Tell me the impact of that and how long, because you, you explained it in here without letting all the cats out of the bag, but um, how long did that color your world or did it forever, forever change it? Because that was the beginning of the snowball, correct? Yeah, forever. And, and actually later in that chapter, I say that death and eternity became the themes of my life and invaded my soul. Right. Um, so I, I was raised in, in, you know, I was raised in church. My mom raised me in church, but um, the, the way that I received the message, the, the churches that I was raised in sometimes came off a little, a little harsh. They were a little, um, uh, hellfire and brimstone, <laughs> you know, they were, they were less grace oriented than I probably needed as a kid. Um, at least that was my perception of it at the time. And so I, I already was kind of, you know, had a, had a, had a lopsided view of God a little bit in the first place. And then, you know, my, when my dad died, um, that's unexpected. My dad was absent um, largely in my life before that. And I was angry about that already. But then when he died, um, like that really it rattled the foundations of, of who I was and, and my worldview in general, um, because I couldn't make sense of it um, in light of the knowledge that I had of God. Like, um, I think that all of us kind of struggle with the problem of pain and loss in life in general. But most kids don't like lose a parent to a violent incident like that that early. And, um, you know, it it, it really um, rattled, rattled my hope. So, you know, um, my when my mom, my mom had consulted a therapist um, and the therapist had recommended, like, maybe your kids need closure. 
So offered them to go see their dad. My sister refused to go. She wouldn't go. She's my older sister. And um, and I went um, and I, I needed to to go and see him. Um, and but when I when I saw him and touched him, it became real. Life and death became real. Right. Because I'm sitting there alive and he's he's in a coffin. And um, I didn't I didn't know how to process it. It was too much, too much information to process in light of what I was ta- taught about God and life and death and everything else. And so it just caused some real existential problems for me very young. And and um, that continued to um, pervade my life um, all the way through my life. And ultimately, it's it's almost like my religious upbringing was was the both the problem and the solution <laughs> at the end it, 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 you know or my lack of understanding of 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 it at 5 years old 6 years old 7 years old really um what was kind of the problem and and then um you know when when i have this god encounter later um and and i went through the scriptures and my eyes were open to to the the overarching plan um, and, you know, and, and I was able to understand it a lot better. And then I was able to see the grace of God in, in, in the world and in my life. Um, and so, yeah, it, my religious upbringing coupled with my dad's death is what caused it, is what caused that existential angst. And does, does it make you have a different set of eyes as being in that counseling world now and, and helping other people with their issues of, when death enters into the family, how important that step is, good, bad, and different. And everybody has to make their own choices as parents with their kids. I understand that. But how vastly important that moment in time is, because we always hear this line, I'm sure you, I know you have, oh, kids are resilient. Let them go. Yeah, let them go too. It'll be fine. Uh, they're resilient. Well, they are, but it can change life, right? Yeah. Um, well, they're, they're resilient too. I mean, to a degree, I mean, it's they they don't understand and they need adult guidance in that in that situation. And, you know, I I don't I'm an addiction counselor, so I I don't deal with a lot of like, you know, death and grief counseling. But I deal with a lot of people who have had significant losses and that contributed to their their ongoing, you know, drug and alcohol use later in life. And so, yeah, I understand that, you know, it's it's, you know, getting into those core issues. Um, sometimes it comes up in, in, in addiction counseling, but I think that those issues are probably dealt with better in, 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 a, in a therapeutic setting with a mental health therapist long-term because there's nobody that could have dealt with, with that with me in, in, in an addiction program, the length of it is, right? I probably needed ongoing counseling and, and probably should have had it from the time I was young. And my mom did take me to counseling. It just didn't, it just didn't last long. The, the thing that, that I want to, you know, explain about that um, was after my dad's death, um, you know, I had the trauma response I had was was aggression and anger. And it came out of me in every direction. And the adults and, and, and school staff um, labeled me in my life kind of as a problem kid, not so much my family, but they were frustrated with with my behavior and didn't know what to do. And so I didn't. I ended up feeling like adults were dangerous and that I couldn't trust any of them and not, none of them were invested in me. And so um, when the sexual abuses that happened after my dad's death, um, I kept to myself because I didn't feel like I had an adult in my life that I could trust. Now, that wasn't true of my mom, but that was my perception because, you know, my mom was trying to deal with this and work on her own and being a single mom. And so it was just like a big misunderstanding. But 
um, if I would have had one adult outside of my family who could have invested in me and would have um, loved me and treated me with unconditional positive regard during that time, um, especially a male figure in my life, that would have made all the difference in the world, I think. Um, but in my case, unfortunately, I didn't have that. And that's why I'm a huge proponent of mentor programs for kids that have had loss, had trauma um, in their life, just because like they need that healthy, caring person, that one person in their life. Um, and I, I, you know, research shows that, you know, one healthy adult can make all the difference in the world with kids with risk factors and, and ACE, um, high ACE scores, right? Yeah, sort of that one adult buffer makes all the difference in the world. Did you notice an immediate change in your uh, mental uh, attitude towards life? I mean, was yeah. it immediate? Like, wait, I just don't trust anybody. I, I, I don't understand. I'm confused. I'm yeah. I'm hurt. I'm angry. Yeah. Uh, or is it a process? Do you, do you feel that if a coach or a teacher or somebody would have came up and, and said, hey, Michael, and befriended you uh, and helped with that trust issue, that that would have been huge at that point of your life being that young? Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 I think that would have helped. Um, it was an immediate impact. Um, it, you know, if my mom my, if my mom were on the show, she would tell you that, you know, my sleep was disrupted by bad dreams. Um, I had, um, you know, I was just really angry. All the joy drained out of the world for me. Um, it, it was it was a heavy impact because what it did was destroy hope that I would ever have a relationship with my dad again. Yeah. And, and and I was angry at God. I blamed him for it. I'm like, OK, well, if you're in control and sovereign over everything, this is your fault. You did this. And so that was that was my attitude toward God most of my life. So so I, I went my own way, but I also longed for for that relationship with God and a father figure in my life. I just didn't I just didn't know really how to have it as a wounded person, you know, and that came out in my relationship with my stepdad later came out of my relationship with God as I struggled with my faith throughout, you know, my life until I was like 31 years old and the miracle happened. But I went through 20 years of, of, of hell from the time I started smoking at 10 until drugs, uh, you know, I got clean and sober in prison in 2006. That, you know, I had brief periods of sobriety in between, but they were never happy periods. It was 20 years of hell and uh, a lot of confusion before the drug addiction even started. And, and you know, sexual abuse and family issues that they came up. It, it was just, it was just a lot. Um, and I, you know, given the circumstances that I was in without, um, you know, people that, that would have invested in me really young, I don't think the outcome could have been any different. And I'm lucky to be alive, frankly. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really, God intervened in my life or I'd be dead today, for sure. You, I, I thought it was really interesting. And I, 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 as I was reading this and tell me if I'm wrong, yeah. that maybe at the cemetery, yeah, they saw you running around, jumping on headstones and climbing, and yeah. seemed to be the, you know, hey, everything's okay. You were that type of uh, excite, not excitement, but energy yeah. that you were going from one to the next. Is that uh, an eye opener? At least it was for me uh, as a parent or a grandparent of saying, hey, wait, just because you see a reaction that's out of the norm of what you would expect at your father's uh, committal, what does that mean ultimately? Was there any insight there that you have that a parent may need to hear tonight? Um, I, I, I don't know. That would be, you know, the day of the funeral, I, I think in the book I say I was kind of numb. 
um, that day. I was kind of confused. Everything was really happening fast. My mom, my mom's the one that said my behavior was real bizarre. I was hyperactive anyway, but on the day of the funeral, I think maybe that was just a coping mechanism for me to check yeah. out, you know, and, and, uh, you know, j going around jumping on people's headstones, like is completely inappropriate. <laughs> you know, it's not like even little kids, you would be like, don't do that. Right. But right. everybody was so consumed, um, with what was going on with my dad. Um, and, and I, I remember that, but my mom remembers it better. She even said, you're, you're just, your behavior was just so bizarre, but my behavior was bizarre, uh, in almost every context after my dad's death in general. And, you know, my mom had to deal with that and they didn't have a good understanding, uh, Dr. Williams of trauma back then when this happened, you know, and my, yeah. my, my mom would have done every single thing that was available if they knew, but they didn't know. And she got a lot of really bad advice from people as a young mom too, <laughs> you know? So. Yeah. A lot, a lot of bad advice out there. A lot of good advice too, but there's a lot of, yeah. there's tons of bad. Yeah. A lot of bad uh, there's a, there's a chapter three um, that you were the first time that you were uh, sexually abused. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, in this book, and I, I want to, this, this is not just about this. That's why I, I recommend your book over mine because this deals with the abuse. This deals with loss. This deals with uh, crime. This deals with drugs. This deals with alcohol. You've endured and championed through all of those things to be who you are. And I, I think that is uh, unbelievable. And that's why I think everybody needs this book, because there's going to be somebody that you come across in life that needs to know how to endure this kind of uh pressure and stress and anxiety in life yeah i really want this i really want this book inside the prison systems is what i want and um i hope that you know if if people are listening out there and they're involved in the prison systems especially you know the chaplaincy or the counseling departments of those prison systems this book is really good for that because it talks about all the issues leading up there i talk a lot about prison um, in there and that, you know, when, when that happened, but I also talked about, you know, what can happen, you know, inside the prison walls and how people can, you know, despite the atmosphere that prison is hard to recover and people can, and that, um, you know, there is hope for rebuilding your life into something that you were, you're a significant community contributor after, um, you know, after you get out and, and I want, um, you know, people that are in prison to know that. And when you get out, life is not over. You know, while you're in prison, do do whatever's offered to you to get well. Seek God in prison, you know, look for that miraculous thing to happen in your life. And when you get out, you know, um, you know, uh, pursue pursue your own health and, you know, things can really blossom for you. You yeah. know, and I really want people to know that because the people I was in prison with, they were all really broken people. Yes, there there was a lot of criminal behavior. Yes, there's a lot of really sick people in prison. And yes, there's some people that, that may need to be there forever because of their crimes and their significant public uh, danger, right? But there are also others that are going to get out. And I want to see both society protected and I want to see them flourish when they get out um, for the benefit of all of us. Well, I agree. I, I couldn't agree with you more. This every every person in prison needs to read this. I really believe that because I think they're going to be able to relate yeah. uh, to the story somewhere in the in one of the years of your life that happened to you, they're going to be able to go, oh man, me too. And how did he get through it and try to get to the, the part where you get through it. And we're going to get into that part because I, there so much of your book is on hope. 
and yeah. how to get through it. And that's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to drill a little bit deeper right after this last commercial break. Go ahead and start buying it. Better Than Well by Michael Pritchard. And we'll be right back after this last commercial break. Hang with us. HCI Publishing that brought you the international bestsellers, A Child Called It, and the Chicken Soup for the Soul series comes the latest book by Dr. Gregory Williams, Shattered by the Darkness. This book describes the horrific abuse that Dr. Williams suffered at the hands of his father for over 12 years and the damaging effect of keeping everything silent about that abuse for 30 years. If you're looking for that book that you can't put down, then pick up a copy of Shattered by the Darkness by Dr. Gregory Williams at all Barnes & Noble stores, Amazon, and Books A Million. Now, back to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. back and tell you what better than well by michael pritchard one man's miraculous journey through childhood trauma mental illness addiction and incarceration to joy and contentment and we have somebody on facebook of michael danielson that oh, said yeah. he's got to have an autographed copy so if you know michael get him an autographed copy if you would michael okay uh kudos to you and thank you for being online and facebook and making that post um there wasn't just one instance of trauma. There wasn't just one instance of abuse. Uh, you even got abused, I think, on both, both sides of it by a female babysitter and things of that order. Without going into all of that, because it's it's in the book, read it. And I don't want to let all those out because that's what makes it a page turner. It's one of those, like my commercial just said about mine, you will not want to put it down once you start opening and reading it. It just catches you and, and drags you into the next chapter. At the age of 11, you said that you had your first taste of alcohol. By the seventh grade, you were an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Wow. And then in chapter 10, you're in prison. Yeah. And um, there's a lot of stories that you share between then. But I wrote this quote down because I want to talk about this. We always use the last segment to talk about hope to talk about how you made it through, talk about, hey, people, they're leaning in going, hey, I'm dealing with this right now. How do I deal with it? There's a quote that I wrote down that goes like this. As I begin to re read, the Spirit of God began to open my eyes to the text, and I saw how my life fit into a grand plan. Now, Michael, we know that took years Mm -hmm. It took a lot of instances, it took a lot of wrong hits, lots of ups and downs. But tell me the journey that it really took to get to that point in your, I believe, probably your prison cell. Yeah. Where you're going, wow, now I know how life fits together. Tell us the secret. How does it? 
Yeah, well, within the Christian worldview, you know, we, you know, we, we believe that, you know, that, that, that man was not created in the condition that he currently is in and wow. that the, the world's broken. And, and we were stamped with the image of God, which is very, which is a glorifying thing to say about us all that, that no matter how broken we are and no matter how, um, you know, far from grace we may feel, we're still stamped with that image. We don't lose our value um, just because we're beat up, you know? And so um, I, I began to um, see that, that, um, you know, that there was a higher calling for my life and for all of our lives and that we were created for a purpose. And um, I didn't know exactly what my purpose would be, but I needed to connect with the idea and the Bible helped me with this, not just the idea, but um, with the reality that, that there was some, there was, there was a God that beyond me that cared. And, and once that happened, like how, 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 like what more would you need in, in your life to boost your spirits? Then, then number one, you were created stamped with the image of, of God and, and that you have a, there's a plan and purpose no matter, and, and there's grace and forgiveness. Not, you know, there was a lot of things that happened to me. Those were traumas that I couldn't control. But in, in the course of my addiction, there were also a ton of things that I did that I carried guilt and shame over because there was choices involved in, in, in my life that, that were, that were conscious decisions where people got hurt as a result of my decisions. And so like I had to deal with the trauma that happened to me, but I also had to deal with the trauma that, 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 you know, that I did to myself, moral injury. Right. And, and I felt like, like God really is the only person that had the power to offer me true forgiveness and grace. And once, once I read through the, the text of, of scripture and realized like that came in the person and work of Christ Jesus, then I was able to, to really start understanding like, okay, we're all broken. We're, we're, we, we, we all are, are in need of, of, of God and, you know, once I surrendered my life to, to God and, and just let him take over to see what would happen, I just felt a peace. I wasn't wrestling with my own pain or anguish anymore. I just realized that, you know, this world is broken. We can do, humans can do like only within what our power is to do to mend that pro brokenness, but God can do infinitely more. And so that hope brought light in, into my life that, 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 you know, cause a spark to happen in my heart. And that motivation that motivated me to do, to not only see God, but to look at my own behavior, look at things that happened to me that I didn't want to face. It motivated me to want to get healthier physically. So I started working out, you know, on the yard. It started helping me get think about what I wanted to do for my future. Um, like, in, in the course of everything that happened to me, like how can I use my pain and suffering to, to, to benefit other people within a year and a half of getting out of prison, I was already mentoring people through addiction, right? Because um, I, I, God had brought me through that and I wanted to give back what I was given. So, you know, it's hard to explain because the Bible's this thick. It's, it's, there's a lot of verses and I cover a lot of them in my book. Um, how that change happened, but it, it started with, um, with, with a lot of correction too. It, it, there was a lot of correction in the scripture to help realign me with, with, um, you know, with why I was created and how, how I should be behaving and, and how life should really look, you know, if, if it's being lived according to God's will. And so, so I was able to look at that and say, you know what, my life's out of alignment here, 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 and here, God, I need your power to help me to do, 
to to realign my life and to heal the brokenness in me so that I can move forward and live in a way that, you know, that that pleases you and that brings me joy and contentment. That joy and contentment comes from God and what happened to me, you know, and, and it comes through my faith in God. And, and I feel like it's, you know, it's not generated, you know, from Michael, because prior to that encounter with God, I, I lived a life of, of utter misery all the time. So it was just... It was a spiritual encounter that happened, and I believe that I was touched in a miraculous way by God, and I say this in the book, but it came in tandem with scripture and prayer and other people that spoke um, truth into my life, even other convicted felons that were in there for years and years and years who had came to the same conclusions as me would speak uh, words of life into me constantly and encouragement and, you know, and, and, and would help mentor me in the time that I was there. And when I left, I had a new lease on life. That's the bottom line. In in the years prior to that, then did you just have the knowledge of God yeah. and not a relationship? Or was there something that really flipped besides life situations? Was there somebody, something else you read, or was just God's word in your time with it that, hey, wait, yeah, this yeah. this is more than just lip service. I have to really get involved in this. It has to be a life change. Yeah, um, I, ha I had a lot of knowledge growing up, but I also had a lot of skewed understanding. And, and it's because I, I would listen to sermons in church, but I never read the Bible from cover to cover. And I read the Bible from cover to cover in 60 days while I was in there. And um, I started to be able to connect the dots reading through it that fast. Um, and and when and when I read through it, it just took on another life. Part of it was, was just the fact that I was so broken. I, I was absorbing everything that I was reading. Whereas before... Um, maybe I wasn't interested. I was still angry at God. I, I had when, when I when I picked up the Bible to read this time, I, I had um, I had really given up and surrendered. And I was like, I'm just going to read through this and see if it ministers to me. Well, it was at that point that um, that it really began to open itself up to me. I think I think I was um, I think my my choices and all the trauma that happened to me um, brought me to a place of brokenness that 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 um, was attached to a humility that I didn't have before. I was really angry and arrogant in my spirit, <laughs> you know, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I wanted God, but I wanted God on my terms. Right. And so a lot uh, of us do that a lot of times. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I heard a, I heard a, you know, and, and I didn't want to get preachy on here, but I heard a, a quote by Alistair Begg. I was listening to him one morning on the radio. Um, and he said, uh, God will reveal himself to a humble seeking heart, but he doesn't the arrogant and i almost burst into tears i was like gosh that was me you know yeah. i was so angry and arrogant and dark in my soul and lost at that time that that i couldn't hear god speak to me even if i wanted to i wanted to i needed to hear god speak to me but i didn't have the humility to do it and you know what i think at the end of the day god allowed the the choices i was making to have their effect because they're going to have a negative effect and my own choices and and the things that happened to me finally broke me enough to just like say i give up i don't know what i think i know and and i read when i read the scripture that time then it opened itself up to me and a broken vessel can be used so much more powerfully than one that thinks it's perfect <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can't explain it another way. I didn't, I was, I had biblical knowledge. I just didn't have the humility to receive it. And I think that was the difference. And I still struggle with that because, you know, I, I'm spring loaded to go my own direction all the time. And I feel like, 
feel like, you know, um, God does things in my life to humble me and bring me back to that (laughs) place. But um, I I don't like the pain associated with that. So it's easier just to try to stay humble. And, you know, even in, 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 in Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous, you know, um, humility is a huge part of the recovery process because without being humble, um, you're going to get yourself in a wreck uh, in life in general. Could be in relationships, could be a relapse, could be, you know, problems at work could be, you know, in, in your relationships with people. And, and, uh, I think, you know, I was really prone to, to that. Yeah. So. In, in the last minute or two, cause we're about out, out of time. How can people get a hold of you? Uh, if they want to get in touch with you, do you have a website? If they want to find out more about you, uh, if they want to just send a sure. note of encouragement or, Hey, send me the book and autograph it like uh, Michael did. Um, yeah. How, how's um, the best way? Yeah, so they they can go to Covenant Training and Consulting. I'm in Fresno, California, um, and uh, so and my my email is uh, m Pritchard m p r i c h a r d at ctc sapcom and uh, you can reach me at that email um, anytime. I, I love to answer questions. I, you know. If you, you know, public speaking events, you want me to come and talk to people in prison, you know, and I'm free to do it. I'll That'd do it, awesome. you know, or, or wherever you feel that there is a need, because I really just wanted this book put into the hands of people that it could help. If it prospered beyond that, then great. It, and, and if not, then I wrote it. And if it touched one life, it was enough. That's wonderful. I'll tell you what, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but I'm going to anyway. Your lovely wife just posted on Facebook and she said this. This is Michael Pritchard's wife. We've been together for almost 15 years. And during these 15 years, I have heard Michael's story numerous times and see how many lives his story has touched and changed. I am so excited he decided to share his story today. My prayer is that everyone who reads his story is touched in a significant way to affect change in their own lives. That's your lovely bride that she just shared on Facebook right now. That's yeah. our pleasure, Michael. God bless you. And you sounds like you have a dandy uh, that you are hooked uh, by. The- <laughs> Is that not wonderful? Oh yeah, she she's been she's been my biggest support. And you know, my mom when I got well, she was like, "Okay, I'm handing him off to you. I took care of him long enough." You know, like she's your sure, yeah, she's your problem. But she's been a huge blessing. I got you know stepdaughters that came with her and and four grandchildren also. So like, I have this wonderful life that I didn't know that I would have, I thought I'd be dead today, but that's not what God had planned for me. God has something in store. And you know, when the devil thought that he had you zipped up in a tent, uh, and this is going to destroy this man, and the devil had you locked up in a cell, this is going to destroy this man. When God had, you know, in all those different situations, uh, the devil. God sets, yeah, God sets captives free. Absolutely. And he set you free and he's changing your uh, projection now to be able to touch so many people's lives. And I can't say it enough. Everybody get this book, Better Than Well, by Michael Pritchard. And it goes on sale, the hard copy. You can get the Kindle right now. You can start reading it tonight or you can wait till the hard copy goes on sale at 1201 on Amazon, but you can pre-buy it, I'm sure, right now. Go ahead and do it and get it right into it'll, uh, your It'll box. be on Audible, too. It'll be on Audible in November, too. So I'm going to buy that, too, because I, I, I want to hear that and see how well you did that. And, Michael, it's, part, it's great to be part of your friendship circle. 
anytime that I can do anything for you, I'm in your corner. And tell Darlene, thank you for sharing online. I know that was an intimate moment that she shared with everybody in the world tonight, but she's just so proud of you. So yeah. we are all proud of you and I applaud you and thank you. Thank you. And may this just sell and make it to the top of the list, but don't worry about how many uh, books it sells. Let's worry about how many lives it changes. Mm -hmm. That's what it's all about. That's when we start uh, tallying up uh, in, in eternity uh, treasures. Yeah. And that's what yeah. it's all about. Agreed. Thank you so much, Dr. Williams, for having me on. I always love talking to you. And thank you for being a big support, helping me through the book writing process, hooking me up with Book Baby. I'm going to throw them out there because they've been great working yeah, with. Um, and, you know, anybody who wants to write their story should pursue it because, it, you know, it can have an impact. You never know who you're going to impact. So I'll end with that. And we don't know, and you won't know until another uh, era after we give up our life here. One day you will yeah. find out, wow, this is what impact it had. And this kind of book will impact your life, whether you want it to or not. Just read it, buy it, and read it, and it will change uh, the way you look at a lot of different things. So please get that. Thank you, Michael. Right. Anytime that you want to come back on, love to have you. Okay. All right. And when you Thank come you to so Texas, much. let me know. I tell you what, <laughs> if you want to move to Houston, we will hook you up with some people. I yeah, that. I, that, that's that that may be a possibility. We'll talk later. And we'll get you a jersey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Take me to a game, Dr. Williams. There you go. We'll do. We'll do. Minute Maid okay. Park. Thank you so much. As we do every week. I uh, like to always just end everything, but next week we're going to have No Place uh, Like Hope, and I'm starting this book right now. When we get off the program, I'm going to start reading this, and he'll be next week's guest. But like we always, I don't think there's another person that I have met in my life that exemplifies what I close every show out with. And I'm being serious as a heart attack. No matter where you are, no matter if you're in a cell tonight listening to it on the radio, uh, if you're you're someplace in a dark room and you don't know if you're going to make it through the night, I want to let you know because Michael is a perfect example of it, and me too, and so many others, but he's a perfect example. No matter what's happened, there's always, always hope. And I believe in that. And you have to hang on to that. Don't give up on that one four-letter word, hope. Thank you for joining us tonight. Hang with us. Be with us next week for another live edition of breaking the silence right here live from Houston. God bless. Have an awesome week. All right. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. To contact Dr. Williams, dial 832-396-6525. Or email him at shatteredbythedarkness at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us each Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Pacific, on BBS Radio Station 1 for the next episode of Breaking the Silence. <laughs>